0: Aloha, thank you for listening to episode six of the Life and Times with JB. I'm JB Hasso, and I'm joined with my friend Candace Wood, who describes how her parents and grandparents influenced her to become successful throughout life from her days in middle and high schools, as well as through college and becoming a wife and mother. Candace shares great memories of her high school days, as well as a unique childhood story that you probably have never heard before. She also discusses her new position at Success and Challenges, a nonprofit organization that advocates for low- and moderate-income families, the elderly, and the physically and mentally challenged. She is calling in from Long Beach, California, so let's get this started, and I hope you enjoy it. Hello, Candice. Thank you for joining me on the sixth episode of Life and Times with JB. How are you doing?
1: Hi there. Uh, Things have been quite interesting. Um, Definitely has allowed me to take pause and a lot of other busy things going on in life, but still keeping busy, busy, surprisingly, um, with obviously my two daughters schooling from home. So that's the first and foremost priority. And just juggling trying to work and do other projects from home and clean and keep up the house duties and (laughs) Uh, And My husband is home as well. So uh, as every family in America is dealing with uh, multiple Zoom sessions going on simultaneously and just a lot going on. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) But it's been great. uh,
0: You and your husband are mostly working from home and then the kids are going to school from home as well.
1: That is right. Yep. So we're all home and... Everyone has carved out their little space in the house, and uh, and we have two dogs, uh, including a puppy who can be vocal. So, just trying to navigate through all of that. It's been it's been very interesting, like I said, and um, but we've managed very well. And uh, I, I have to say, my my daughters too. Um, they're they're six. I'm sorry, five and eight years old. And they're doing very well in school, considering the challenges. Um, and and a lot of that is due to their their amazing school that they that they go to. Oh, well, they go Barnabas. to St. Barnabas. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, yep. I believe you went there. Is that right? Are you? Yeah, you That's, went to Catholic school there. It's been a great experience having them at St. Barnabas. Yeah,
0: yeah, definitely for sure. So it's really funny because one of our friends, Mary Klepper, well, not Mary Klepper anymore. <laughs> <Yeah. Gorsman. laughs> so it's really funny. So. I was going to school at St. Barnabas and then she was uh, going through uh Catholic catechism at that point for our first uh, communion. We were actually matched up together. And so I don't know if you've ever saw the picture right here. us talking about it over the years, but we went down the aisle together. So it was really funny because we were like, oh, you're," she was like, oh, you're the first guy I ever walked down the aisle with. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty funny. So, yeah, we have a cute photo of that. But yeah, St. Barnabas is a great school. Um,
2: yeah.
1: Yeah, I think I've seen that Mary and I have really become close as we've gotten older uh, as mom. So she's, I consider her one of my best friends now. So
0: many of the yeah. listeners uh, know you as Candace Maloney. Uh, so obviously now you're married. Uh, you have an amazing husband, Stephen, and then two wonderful girls, like you said, uh, Kennedy and Zoe. Um, so we'll talk about them a little bit later. But um, when we first met back in sixth grade, back at Hughes Middle School uh, out in Long Beach, California... Uh, I always uh, saw you as an amazing, absolutely amazing person, uh, a great friend, a role model, uh, an inspiration to others. Um, You were definitely an influencer before influencer was a thing. And one thing that you always talked about, and I always remember you talking about this, was (laughs) about your parents and your grandparents. Uh, And I always admired and was... uh, very intrigued with how amazing your family was and, and all the love that you had for them and how you always spoke about them. Uh, so can you tell us a little bit about your grandparents and your parents?
2: Yeah, of
1: course. Well, before I begin, I just want to thank you so much for your kind words, JB, and very flattering. Um, oh, yeah, and, and much can be said about you as well. So thank you for that. Um, but yes, I am. I'm, I'm very proud of, of, of who I am and who I've become as a mother and a wife. Uh, and a lot of that I give credit to my grandparents and parents. Um, uh, I do hail from Long Beach, California. I'm, I guess I consider myself third generation. Uh, my, my dad's parents or his mom uh, was here in the 40s and actually attended Long Beach Poly. Would have graduated uh, from Long Beach Poly in class of 1950, but her dad got a job in Michigan. That led her there, um, and begrudgingly, she was not happy about that, but she ended up meeting my grandfather there. So it Mm -hmm. was kind of fate took her to Michigan, uh, a little town called Adrian. And my grandparents met there in the late 40s, in their late teens, and fell in love, got married in 1949 on November 11th, which would become a significant date later for me, because that is the date that I married my husband, Stephen. So we shared an anniversary with my grandparents. Um, yeah, so they got married and raised their family started raising their family in Michigan. And, um, including my dad who was born there in the late 50s. And then they moved out to California in 1960 to Long Beach. And, uh, finished their family with my, my aunt, having her out here and, uh, just really became a part of that long beach fabric. And especially, the uh, fabric of the community, if you will, especially the sports community, both my dad and his brother were very involved in sports from little league to, um, in pony league, all the way up through, they went to Hughes and Polly as well. Um, my dad lettering and track basketball, I'm sorry, basketball, baseball, and football, and my uncle as well in baseball. And my grandpa especially was, be, was a huge um, you know, advocate for youth sports here in Long Beach all through, mm-hmm. even into his senior years with the Long Beach Century Club. And he was the um, uh, president of the Long Beach City College Vikings Club when my father was a coach there, a football coach there. So just really my grandparents uh, on my father's side were uh, a big part of the Long Beach, especially sports community, advocates for youth sports, and a very big influence on in my life because they played a big part in raising me. Um, when my father went back to school and my mom worked full time, it was more stable for me to to be with them at that time through um, my grade school years into college, so I owe a lot of that to my grandparents, my paternal grandparents, and my mater- my mom's parents um, as well. Came out here in the early '60s to mm. Long Beach from uh, Slidell, Louisiana. My mom is Creole, and I'm actually very proud of that because um, I am mixed. Um, my father being Irish uh, of Irish and other English um, Anglo-Saxon um, background, and my mother. African American, and her father was Creole, which is more of like a French yeah. and um, African American mix. And so, I'm very proud of that heritage as well. And I, I, I cook a lot of soul food, mainly Creole food. And I loved visiting New Orleans um, a couple of years ago and meeting some of my sur- surviving great aunts and uncles um, on my mom's side. And so. Those parents were all, grandparents were also very influential um, in my life. I was the oldest grandchild, so (laughs) I was doted on, upon, (laughs) spoiled. (laughs) So with that being said, uh, and they were very important too, um, very a part of the Long Beach sports as well. My aunt, um, on my mom's side, was a big track star and also went on to play and be, Mm. and still is, in the Hall of Fame at Cal State Long Beach in women's basketball. And my uncle my mom's side uh, going on to play in the nfl um so you know both sides really big sports driven families we're big football fans and um that's why i love the chiefs because of my uncle so a lot of people wonder <laughs> if i'm actually a bandwagon fan but i'm not <laughs> uh so no i have a, a beautiful mixed family um very extremely close to even a lot of my extended family lots of cousins Um, aunts and uncles who I love greatly. And, um, and my parents were very young when they had me. uh, They did meet at Poly. They were high school sweethearts. And um, very, very young when they had me, but just really, I kind of, you know, they kind of grew up with me. (laughs) Uh, And that's why, like I said, my grandparents played a role in raising me. But my parents were, were just as integral in my in my upbringing, even if I lived when I lived with my grandparents. And, um, you know, just really proud of, of who they've become and, um, and and I know they've they're proud to see me become a mom and and a wife and um, Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and yeah. succeed. I so. I
0: didn't realize um, that both sides of the family were super involved with sports and very athletic and, and you know it goes on to a lot of what you did throughout your childhood and, and the future. So I, I think that's pretty awesome actually. So then I always wondered why you're a Chiefs fan. So- <laughs>
1: <laughs> My uncle uh, was Stefan Page. Yeah, he was a big wide receiver in the 80s, and he is in the Hall of Fame over at Arrowhead Stadium. One day I hope to go. We were supposed to go this year, but of course our pand- this pandemic uh, put a lot of plans on hold, so I hope to, to go out to Arrowhead and uh, see his, his name, and I'm just really proud of him. And he's a, he's a really great uplifting guy. He helps coach youth, and he's a oh, mentor awesome. to a lot yeah, of young uh,
0: athletes. So. so from stories yeah. that you heard... And uh, your own memory, what do you remember most about uh, your childhood?
1: You know, I think I had such a beautiful childhood. And despite, and I wouldn't say this in a negative way, being mixed, and I know we might get into that a little bit. I I had so many great influences from both sides of my family, and the environments in which I was raised. and, 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 and I was also exposed to a lot of different environments. My mom worked and still does work for the city of Compton. And I, I'd go to, uh, summer programs there and, and be, um, you know, the, the kid who, if they didn't know my mom, they didn't know, they thought maybe yeah. I might've been Hispanic or Latina or, you know, <laughs> um, they didn't know what I was, but I was just really a part of that. And that was really fun. I look back on those days fondly. Um, you know, and I, I got into music at an early age, uh, into violin starting in second grade and my dad, my dad and my grandparents really embraced that and and encouraged me to keep moving on. And my grandparents bought me a violin when I was 14 and I got lessons and I still keep up with it. I'm still, because of them allowing me to to really explore that I developed such a deep passion for it that I still play in community orchestras. And of course coming from a high school that had like the best music program and music director help too. But yeah, I just look back very fondly. I'm very blessed. To have had such a great upbringing and to have have such great love from, like I said, my extended family and support, despite how different both families were. And Yeah, yeah, definitely. uh, So
0: So I remember us back in middle school, like discovering that you had a little run in with the street sweeper once. (laughs) Can you... uh, Hear that story <laughs> and what happened?
1: <laughs> sure, sure. They call it the luck of the Irish because you know, I, I am I- part Irish. Um, I was not even two, I want to say I might have been 20 months old, and um, my dad was attending ASU on a football scholarship, and I was out there obviously with my mom, they were married, and there we were at a cul de sac, and um, we, I was I guess we were visiting another family with a young child, my mother and I. And, and according to my mom, a lot of this is according to my mom. Um, unfortunately, I unlatched the front gate that they didn't realize I knew how to. And I was sitting on the curb and heard the street sweeper might have gotten frightened and tried to run across the oh. street. I'm not sure. And it intercepted me. <laughs> um, and in front of my mother, who I believe fainted, if you can imagine yeah. watching your child go through that, you know, firsthand, um, very shocking. And it did drag me, I guess, a part of my clothing caught on to some electrical or some wire. So it could have been a lot worse. But because of that, it just I just got burns from the um, the asphalt and it dragged me. And it was a cul-de-sac. And the guy was so high up, he couldn't see. And a couple college kids were trying to chase him down that there was a baby under there. And he finally stopped. And like I said, it could have been a lot worse. Um, I did have some scars that have now, as I'm much older, (laughs) are gone. But um, they, you know, we have a clipping from the newspaper from Tempe that it could have been a lot worse. And it was the luck of the Irish. And you know, I would tell that story because it's such a... (laughs) You know, when people, what are your icebreakers? Like, what's one weird thing about you? I'm like, I'm going to just share that because no one else (laughs) would ever have that story. (laughs) So that's probably, I was, I was so, you know, sharing it so much when we were younger, but yeah, it could have been a lot worse. And it's a blessing that, you know, I got out of it and nothing, um, majorly you know scarred me really for life right so maybe my mom scarred her a little bit but,
0: yeah it's uh. uh it's interesting because uh you're right how many people have a story of being swept up by a street sweeper and like exactly <laughs>
1: so I, I think you it's... look on it now you giggle you laugh you're like wow but then you put yourself in that you're like as a parent now i'm like oh my gosh i couldn't even imagine so but yeah it is a very odd story <laughs>
0: Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So as I mentioned, uh, we went to, we we met in middle school and uh, we basically had all the same classes together from math, PE, woodshop, science, and and so many more classes. Uh, It's crazy to look back now and think of all the great times that we had. Uh, You were just involved with so many activities from sports to orchestra. Like you mentioned, you started playing uh, violin pretty young. Uh, what influenced you or motivated you to become so involved with all those activities in middle school?
1: Thinking back, goodness, we did have a lot of those classes together. How funny. Um, no, I, I really just loved getting involved and being a part of, of different things that would allow me to grow personally and, and then also leaving a mark. So I was in student council um, in middle school, and I think I was eighth grade president. And then, of course, playing in orchestra um, had a wonderful orchestra teacher who's now retired, Naomi Norwick. She was a really great early influence on my musical journey, and and so that was great being in the orchestra there and playing sports. I loved. I played volleyball for quite a few years and loved it. And playing sports, of course, as you know now, my background was almost like a, a no brainer, and I couldn't get out of it. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna play a sport, you know. That's pretty much what my parents said. So. I, I played and fell in love with volleyball, and that became the sport I, I played for. Yeah, for definitely. I remember you playing
0: volleyball at, at Hughes, Hughes. So really quickly, I sure. when I was typing up our outline today, mm-hmm. I was thinking of like the classes that we had. And um, when I said one of the classes that we had together was science. And all I can re- remember is... Crusty K. <laughs> I'm not gonna say the last name, Mister.
1: But. Yeah, uh, Ghana. We gotta have Ghana. Yep. <laughs> never forget him. I'll never forget it. It's funny. I drive by Hughes a lot because I still live in the community, and I'll show my daughters. I'm like, there is my uh, science class. You know, Mister K. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So won't ever forget him. <laughs> yep. That's fun. We did
0: learn a lot in that class, though. So <laughs> yes. Yes. But, yeah. So in eighth grade, uh, you began dating Chase Utley who went on to become a professional baseball player, six time all-star for the Philadelphia Phillies and then, uh, ended his career at the, uh, uh, the Dodgers. So looking back at it now, uh, what do you treasure most from that relationship? Uh, I know it was like a young relationship, uh, early age, but, uh, do you have any good stories to share about them?
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh... Hmm, well my husband might be listening to it. I'm just kidding. (laughs) No, we were young. (laughs) We were young. And I would consider him he I consider him my first boyfriend. Um and um I must say I'm very proud of him and um all of his amazing accomplishments and accolades in baseball. Um literally he has knocked it out of the park. Yeah, a couple into. times, um, <laughs> many times, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, it's it's yeah, it was a, a little a little crush that developed into like a year and a half long, whatever you want to call an eighth and ninth grade relationship. And it taught me, you know, obviously about being in a relationship with someone that very young. Um, it was still very innocent. I do recall going and supporting Chase at a lot of his Little League and Pony League games and he ironically and i'm sure he laughed on it was on the phillies and when he was in pony league and i would attend those games and he would just say you know i'm going to go i'm going to be in the major leagues and i would tell him maybe you should have a backup plan just don't know if that's really feasible <laughs> <laughs> I remember telling him that. I'm like, okay, well, don't get too, you know, you know, ahead of yourself. Maybe you should think about other things. Because like, no, I'm going to the, I'm going to the league. I'm like, okay. And I, boy, did I put my foot in my mouth <laughs> years later? And I would saw him on Ellen, the Ellen show. And I'm just like, wow. Okay. He's doing big things, you know? So I'm proud of him. I don't really see him. And when I have seen him, it's been at a distance and, You know, like a wave or hello, but I understand he's, you know, he's retired now, but he's a family man. I'm just really excited and happy for him, and um, does congratulate him on on a great career, and looks like he might also be an all star or a hall of famer, hopefully. So that'd be great to see him someday get in there. Yeah,
0: yeah, for sure. I think I think that's been fun to. We're gonna get to Polly or high school here in a second, Mm -hmm. but it's been really fun to see uh, some of our classmates, people in our same year, our same class that have gone on, uh, you know, to be professional athletes. And, uh, it's been pretty awesome to, to see that, uh, see them move forward and, and, uh, you know, represent the school, represent, a, you know, our class and, uh, it's been fun.
1: So, yes, it really has. Definitely.
0: So after three years at Hughes Middle School, we both went to the best high school in Long Beach, of course, is Long Beach Poly. That's right. Uh, <laughs> so so uh, while at Poly, you continue to excel not only in your education, but with all the activities uh, that you were involved with, including sports, uh, still orchestra, student government, uh, cheerleader. And then your senior year, you were selected to be an international ambassador. Uh, so on episode two of this podcast I talked a lot about international ambassador and what that meant we won't really dig much into the, sure. the meaning of that anymore but uh, but you did a lot of stuff what can you say about all those times at poly and the great memories and, and everything that you were able to accomplish and achieve at poly
1: oh amazing years um, I, I look back and like I said about middle school was great and high school is even better. Yeah, I, you know, I started at poly doing um, volleyball and continuing with that sport into my uh, sophomore year. Um, That led me to become a cheerleader, my junior and senior year, which was even better. It was so fun to get up there and lead cheers and be spirited and have a lot of fun and kind of be silly and goofy at times. Um, my mom was actually um, in cheer in, at, at Polly. So that was also kind of neat to 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 be a part and, and have that experience with my mom. As a matter of fact, their 20th class reunion, my parents were Polly 76. Their 20th class reunion, when we were juniors in high school. We got to, the cheerleaders got to, were invited to their reunion to do cheers. And my mom got to cheer alongside me at their reunion. So that was really fun to do. Um, I I had an amazing experience. So like you mentioned, I was in the CIC program, uh, amazing classes, AP classes, um, took some AP music theory with good old Chris Stevens, his first year there. He's still there as the the band director, um, award-winning jazz ensemble that he's led, still does music theory. And we were kind of his guinea pig class back in the late 90s, <laughs> mid 90s. Wow. <laughs> um, so I took him. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just take a moment, JB. I just have to mention uh, Andy Osman as being mm-hmm. a pivotal person um, in my high school journey. He was our orchestra director. We just recently lost him in September to cancer. And um And I'm going to get choked up because he um, definitely was our Mr. Mr. Holland. If you've ever seen Mr. Holland's opus, he was just one of the Mm -hmm. most inspirational teachers and music, um, music teachers. um, I mean, uh, obviously in my life um, and and inspired so many other generations and and, um, of students and people who come out and say, gosh, you know, I'm teaching because of him or I'm a, I'm a professional musician because of him and he just really blew our minds with the music we were exposed to. And like I said, driving that passion that I had, I was in various ensembles with him from a, um, the orchestra to a string um, chamber ensemble and string quartets. And it, it just was amazing being under his baton. And uh, like I said, we lost him and it's been a really tough last year and a half, but just recently they named the Polly Auditorium in his name, in his honor, he was still alive to see that happen. And we were a part of that celebration. So I just wanted to highlight that being probably just one of the best um, experiences was working um, or being a student under his tutelage and then cheer, like I mentioned, and then international ambassador, like you had mentioned as well. Quick story on that international ambassadors. I don't know how much you went and delve into, but didn't really have a multicultural or a diverse, like a biracial category. You had to, kind of choose if you're going to be the Caucasian or the African American or the Asian or, and I didn't like that. And I said, I really want to go out for this, but I can't say I'm white. I can't say I'm black. I, you know, I'm both. <laughs> so I mm-hmm. kind of uh, lobbied for them to, to make a category and they called it the uh, I think they called it the poly racial to throw in the poly name category. It was the first category. Right. And um, we had to write our little essay to get in. And did we have to go in front of a panel? I can't recall. But you probably went into it, like you said. And sure enough. Yeah, yeah. You
0: go in front of it. Yeah.
1: And then I was selected along with John Gillette, who he considered himself Amerasian. Um, He was my Mm -hmm. counterpart. So I kind of look back on that fondly. You know, they don't do it anymore. It's like, I don't know what they do, but it's like a mixture of (laughs) homecoming court and like international ambassadors that I don't. It's not based on racial categories, as, as I understand it. Oh, wow. Yeah,
0: wow. So. I didn't realize that.
1: Yeah. But, but anyhow, I, that, that was something definitely. I think my parents and grandparents still talk about it today. You know, she was the first one to you know, lobby. and.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I remember that. The influence that you were able to have to expand uh, the ambassadors, which, which was absolutely phenomenal. I remember you being uh, the first one of that category, which was absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, thank you. What I, I I do want to touch on, uh, Andy Osmond real quick. Um, I'm glad you brought him up. And I, I always, after we graduate from poly, obviously, I appreciate me not being uh, a musician or somebody that, um, that played in, in, in any instrument, right? Mm-hmm. I couldn't even play the, what is it called, the recorder that you play in <laughs> middle school,
1: <laughs> but it's really in elementary school, that. you play the recorder. <laughs> oh,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I couldn't do any of that. But I just remembered the influences that Mr. Osmond had on everybody. And then as I graduated and just continuing to listen to all the influence of, of uh, all the Poly graduates that, uh, uh, that were musically talented and how much he influenced so many people. And I always remembered him after, after I graduated Poly and just coming back and listening about how popular and how much influence he had that he had the nickname of Mr. Music Man. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, obviously, I'm very uh, a very big advocate, and I do a lot of advocacy uh, for the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network. And when I found out, I believe it was late 2018, I think it was when Mr. Osman was actually diagnosed with pancreatic mm-hmm. cancer, You know, that's very heartbreaking because today, uh, the survivability rate for somebody that has pancreatic cancer, the five-year survivability rate is only 10%. So hearing about him being diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, um, you know, it was really hard to hear that. Um, And then I believe it was in June of 2019, I believe that's when Polly renamed uh, the auditorium Andrew Osmond Performing Arts Center, as I believe it's called. Uh, absolutely phenomenal influence, uh, like you said.
1: Uh, yeah, he was a great a, individual. He was, I'm sorry to interrupt you. He was a kid teaching these kids when he first came to Poly. I mean, he had just came out of UCLA music school and um, was just a young guy looking for a job. And the Poly music department was kind of in shambles and really not that much music coming out of it. And he just picked that program up as a young man and. You know, he was only in his like mid to late 30s when we were in high school. And <laughs> gosh, he's just, he just did such amazing things at t- such a young age. Certainly, um, well deserved honor to have that auditorium named for um, after him. So.
0: Yeah, definitely, without a doubt. I mean, obviously, we spent a lot of time together in middle school and Mm -hmm. high school, but we really spent a lot more time together when we did all the activities, community events, different uh, activities as international ambassadors. You could choose, but what would you say is one of uh, your favorite memories of our friendship during those years?
1: I'd have to say, I don't know which one to choose. Um, Yeah, I mean, definitely being on the International Ambassador Court together. I thought that was, I kind of like thought that was a nice little round off to our you know, how many years already of friendship, six or seven, no, maybe more years of friendship and, and being classmates and, um, to have that distinctive honor together. I thought that was really, that was really great. Um, you were always just such a very, like even just your kind words to positive person and in a uh, classmate. And I think we always were, we would always work in small groups together and, uh, yeah, I just have really great memories just all around of our times together. And, um, I think we've just have we're fortunate to have maybe versatile if you if you will um experience that many people can't say they had in middle and high school uh, with all of the activities that we were afforded and um, offered. I look back on all of them fondly and and really you know love seeing what you're doing now and and I uh, you know we spent some time in our twentieth reunion <laughs> planning that that was fun <laughs> so yeah, all great great times though definitely.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I would definitely say that. Um, you know, it was really funny because I was going through some pictures the other day. I ran across a picture from the, Daisy's, uh, uh, the Daisy Christmas <laughs> Lane Parade. The Daisy Lane Parade. <laughs> yeah. And so there is a picture of us because we walked in the parade, mm-hmm. all the ambassadors. And there's a picture of us with, uh, at the time, Mayor Beverly oh. O'Neill. And so I just saw that picture I just the other day. And I would love for you to share like, oh, that with
1: me. She is you know, she's like well into her 90s and she's uh, speaking of former mayor um, O'Neill. I've worked with her in my uh, fundraising capacities, uh, but she is uh, the first going to be the first senior to kick off the vaccines for um, this tier in Long Beach for the COVID vaccine. So anyhow, that's great. I'd love to see that photo if you don't mind sending it my way if you come across it again.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think I have it here on the dining room <laughs> table, which has turned into my desk. <laughs> So today we're still witnessing a lot of uh, racial discrimination, and you talked about uh, being mixed. Um, So in the 80s and 90s when we were kids, it was very rare to see mixed uh, racial couples. Things have improved by now. It's become more common to see mixed couples. But back then, did you or your parents ever become victims of discrimination and how did they get through that? Yeah,
1: I'm glad you're bringing this up. Um, it's, it's definitely been a turbulent year. We're still in challenging times when it comes to race and, and equality in our, in our country and how, you know, people of color are being treated. Um, and as a person who's also white, I see both sides of it. And, and it's um, yeah, it is it's been very challenging to even come to terms or uh, to, to even have those conversations with uh, both sides of my family. Um But, going back to your initial question, um, there's been discrimination when my parents had me um, and they were married only for a couple of years in the early eighties um, my mom, when well, they were living in Arizona, she did face some discrimination out there. If you look at me and you know that's why we always tell our children don't don't judge a book by its cover, but a lot of people when they look at me and they don't assume that I'm of mixed race, they think I'm something or I have a great tan but Definitely being um, African-American is not, I I don't have a lot of the features or the hair, you know, that that would automatically, you know, make it seem that that is my mixture. So because of that, you know, my mom would get weird looks like, who is this black lady with this white baby? (laughs) Um, And she did, Mm -hmm. unfortunately, experience a couple snide remarks or, oh, are you the nanny? And, you know, of course, that was really hurtful to her. and. I also understand uh, when my parents had me, or and and also my dad, they pursued a relationship. My grandparents lost a couple friends, my my white side grandparents, Uh, and this is the late seventies, so it was very taboo then. Still taboo into, like you said, the nineties. As far as me personally, I have not really seen discrimination as a mixed person. I mean. I'd like some. Oh, you're a zebra. You're an Oreo cookie. You know, as a kid, but I would just take that kind of in jest yeah. and not like be all upset about it. I'd laugh. I've had some moments where I've been discriminated against. You know, when people didn't think I was black, like by you know black people. So, oh, who's this white you know person? And it's like, well, actually, I'm not. You know, <laughs> um, and and what does yeah. that have to do with anything? If anything, I've had to kind of prove, not prove, but state who I am. And I really don't think people should have to do that. It really shouldn't matter who we are, where, what our racial makeup is. Um, we are who we are. But in this country, you know, in the state of this country, unfortunately, that's, that's still not the case. I married a, a, a Black man and I've heard of his experiences and it's really sad. You know, he's had experiences of racial profiling um, being called the N word in a predominantly white neighborhood that he and his parents, an affluent neighborhood that he and his parents rightfully, you know, lived in and owned a home in, and so I've heard unfortunate stories of that. And and I, my takeaways, I guess, from these mixed experiences from both my husband and, and myself is just I want to share and 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 make it seem like our daughters know that this exists, and it's really it is, it is unfair, but to be prepared for it to if they hear a comment if they you know why a person is saying that maybe not even about them maybe about a classmate because of the way they look um to be prepared for that and to to not let it really affect them to to be more of a a a person who wants to change that perspective or be more positive and change change turn it into a positive experience if you if you will so um, i can say though you know i've seen both sides of it, though. I've seen, you know, I've, it, it really has, I think this year has really put things with the George Floyd incident really kind of brought a lot of unfortunate um, friction in some families, including my own family. You know, Black Lives Matter, no, all lives matter. And it's like, you know, we all just want to be equal. That's what it comes down to. No matter what we look like, we should all be treated equally and fairly. So, yeah. But it's definitely interesting. Yeah, yeah it's definitely, definitely interesting, interesting coming from both backgrounds. And it is something that I just hope we can <sighs> I say we hope we can unite. But there's just so much turmoil going on politically and racially that we have a lot of healing to do as, as a as a nation and, and communities.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree. And really good that you're talking you know, to the girls uh, about this. Uh, and something that I really appreciated, obviously Long Beach is a very multicultural and very diverse city, but going to Poly, obviously mm-hmm. Poly means many, and going to Poly and just seeing uh, and being around such, you know, a culturally diverse, you know, school, you know, with thousands and thousands of students all together, um, I really appreciated, um, you know, being in that type of environment and learning so much from uh, which I think helped me to be appreciative of all cultures mm-hmm. and diversity, uh, as well as acceptance of everybody. And I, I think that was the early young age that we were lucky to live in Long Beach and, and go I, to Pauly for that. I think.
1: agree. I, I know our, we're very fortunate. We had a melting pot of cultures and people from all backgrounds. And, you know, it was just, it was a beautiful experience. Um, and, and to go out into a, a world where some of this persists, this is like, what, wait, what, you know? <laughs> why, why do they feel that way yeah. about, you know, that person, oh, that culture. So, yeah, I mean, I, you can only just teach our kids to just be proud of who they are, proud of who they came from. Um, I, that's what my parents instilled in me. You know, that's why I always put it out there. Like I'm not black. I'm not white. I'm proud of who I am. I'm proud of both of my hair, both sides, but it does it shouldn't matter. You know, I'm, I am who I am because of my parents and my families and my, you know, experiences as a white and a black person, but it's not just, that should not really matter though. You know? So.
0: Yeah, definitely. So let's uh, take a quick break. And then when we come back, we'll continue on uh, with the rest Sounds of the great. podcast. Thanks. I would like to pass on this break to my friend, Mary Kate.
2: Hi, JB. Thank you so much for having me. I'm Mary Kate Saliva, and I'm a trained volunteer with Shared Hope International. I just wanted to start off by saying that this month of January, the whole month, is actually um, Human Trafficking Awareness Month. Um, and modern day slavery does still exist. It affects not only uh, people here in the United States, but around the world. And I. Look forward to talking to anybody more about human trafficking and the signs and the myths. And you can find me on LinkedIn at Mary Kate Soliva S-O-L-I-V-A, um, and also to check out uh, Shared Hope International, where you can become a trained volunteer yourself. You do not have to be law enforcement uh, or first responder of any kind in order to uh, join in the fight against human trafficking, and we welcome everybody as. Uh, those who it affects come from all walks of life. Thank you.
0: Hello, welcome back. Following high school, uh, you went on to uh, UC Santa Barbara and then ended up at the University of Southern California. Uh, tell us about your college years and some of the activities you did and and um, why you went to two different schools.
1: Sure, yeah. So I started at UC Santa Barbara Um just fell in love with the campus and um, immediately got involved in the music program uh, as a minor in music performance. And just knew I wanted to get into broadcast journalism. So I kind of did a pre major of communications and um, the party school. <laughs> Definitely had my fair share of fun at UCSB. I joined a sorority, at Alpha Delta Pi. Uh, even had the experience of living one year in the house, which was fun. Um, but I think I, I, at the end of or the, sorry, the middle of my sophomore year, I was starting to think, you know, really, I'm not getting what I really want out of this experience um, as far as my major goes. They only had a communications major, so wasn't really, you know, into journalism. It was very broad. Um, and I felt like I needed something a little bit more hands-on, and um, that could even put me in front of a TV screen, you know, just doing some internships. So, went back to thinking maybe I should. Um, I was waitlisted, unfortunately, well, not unfortunately, um, when I initially applied to a USC. So, just said maybe I can try to transfer. And my father reached out to some contacts and. Made sure My father actually was a student success coordinator at Long Beach City College, so that's what he did. He would help his um, athletes or all the athletes transfer from a two-year to a four-year university. So he kind of made sure I had the right credits. Of course, a lot of those didn't quite transfer because I went from a UC system to a private school. But uh, for the most part, I was able to maintain most of my credits and got into SD my junior year and spent a year and one quarter. for one semester I had to take an extra semester uh there and I loved it and I am going to say that I had the most you know I know we've used the word diverse a lot in this in this uh program I had the most diverse college experience I went from the party school to one of the biggest sports you you know schools and didn't do the sorority thing when I was at SC Uh, was more focused in working in sports and um really had a great time I was uh, in the student I'm sorry, I was a a worker in the um, athletic programs for men's basketball. So I assisted some, just did some clerical work there and worked under Coach Henry Bibby, if you're a big basketball person. And I also worked um, under Pete Carroll his first year as head coach at USC, right before he started building our program to national championships. So really look back fondly on my college experiences, especially being a Trojan. A lot of pride being a Trojan, just like a pride being a, a Long Beach Poly jackrabbit. And yeah, it's been really fun.
0: I, I think you did a uh, a broadcasting internship while you are there at USC as well, right?
1: I sure did. I want to credit Henry Bibby for getting me into ESPN. <laughs> um, <laughs> I got a really cool production internship with ESPN when they had some offices out in Hollywood. Some of the listeners might have remembered the... Um, it was a, a show that was called um, the, uh, oh, see now I already, I already forgot the name of the dang show. Um, anyhow, it was Roy Firestone. They probably, they did a little um, a clip of it in, the, in Jerry Maguire where the athletes would always cry on the show, but uh, Up Close. called Up Close on ESPN. Right. I was a production assistant for Up Close, um, and a lot of that entailed, well, really, it was kind of cool. I got to meet some really cool athletes. I uh, got to meet some Lakers and Brent Musburger, who's a big broadcast, you know, sports journalist. And um, I think Shaq came into the studio. Like, it was just so fun. But it was a lot of just, you know, ugly work transcribing way back before, you know, now they have, like, automatic transcribers that, like, literally transcribing the um, content to the internet. (laughs) Um, So that was was what I did. But I loved it. Uh, I also worked with Fox Sports. Did some of their production um, work behind the scenes and cutting film, just learning about TV. I really wanted to do sports journalism uh, because of my background in sports and my family. You know, were big you know lovers of sports and thought I had a great calling for it and was ready to go. But 9/11 hit, <laughs> and um, and then of course I saw that a lot of the jobs were few and far between right out of college. So. I was a little disheartened and I don't think I had the drive that a lot of people do have um, to really go after being maybe a small town reporter. I just wasn't willing or understanding that I needed to start from the bottom for whatever reason. I thought I'm going to land in Chicago, New York, or stay in LA and just get this big old (laughs) job. Right? Uh, Yeah. So, but I still had such a great experience. I really, I did some on-camera stuff at at, uh, USC Trojan vision, uh, mm-hmm. So I got a, a little tape together and um, some sideline reporting, but it was a great experience. I mean, I, I, do look back and say, you know, what, what would have been had I continued and not stopped in, in broadcast journalism. I got my degree in sociology with a minor at Annenberg school of journalism at USC and um, still kept up playing the violin. Um, but I just wasn't, I just wasn't driven enough to be, to, to go that route, I guess. I wasn't ready to go to Iowa and no offense to anybody right. who lives in Iowa, but to <laughs> small, you know, making $20,000 a year. <laughs> I did have an interview. I think probably the biggest letdown um, for me and, and not encouraging or discouraging uh, moment for me was when I did have a, a phone interview with ESPN right out of college I was not ready for it. I didn't realize they, they had my, it was for a research position. I would have moved to Bristol, Connecticut. And I'm like, oh, this is great. This will get me started. And they called me, like I was on a date, I think, <laughs> at a movie theater. I was totally thrown <laughs> off. But I'm like, well, I got to take it. It's ESPN calling me. And they literally interviewed me on the spot like you had to be like a walking sports almanac. <laughs> like what were the five wow. acquisitions this year in NFL and NBA? And I'm just like, what? Wait, what? You know, and I just felt so caught off guard. And I'll, I'll say to this, too, I know a couple other women who really tried to do sports journalism around the time as me, same time as me. And at that time, there was a really negative misogynistic culture, especially at, at, that I had heard um, at ESPN. And that has since changed. I don't know if you watch ESPN, you can see a lot of women, uh, people of color and uh, who are now journalists. And at that time, it was definitely really cutthroat and not too many women were getting jobs, um, especially with ESPN. So I think I just was discouraged. That was a big another big, like discouraging blow, like, oh, I'm not meant for this. I I got to just move on from this dream. And I just didn't pursue it. That's probably one of the only one of the few things I never, you know, I felt not confident enough to pursue.
0: So yeah, because I remember middle school and high school, you always talked about doing that. And so yeah, as I moved around in the military, I was, uh, was just looking for you one day to be on TV <laughs> and, and behind a desk somewhere reporting. But yeah, definitely. Didn't quite. But out. you went on, but you went on to some very good success when you left college, um, and then you went into event planning and had some big roles in that. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that and those sure, roles that yeah. you ended up taking from, out of college?
1: Right out of college, I did, and this leads into my event planning. Uh, I was I graduated sociology, and I had a, a friend I was moving back to Long Beach who was doing social work or casework at a, a, a youth home, get this, JB, you might like this with your military experience, a youth home for boys on probation. And that was my first job out of college. And I'd spent four years at that um, organization, ChildNet, and I was a caseworker and I moved up all the way up to supervisor and leading a team of, and working with boys on probation and even some boys who were um, with, with foster care. And it was challenging, if you can imagine, a very challenging group—teenage boys, hormones were at, ra- 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 <laughs> raging, right. and being called this and that and the other because I was an authoritative figure, and they weren't used to women. Some of them had mommy issues, and you know they would walk all over their parents. <laughs> um, and yeah. it definitely gave me develop, you know—I developed a really strong backbone working with these kids, and I learned a lot about myself and how strong and tough I could be. <laughs> at least I thought I was. Um, and really also about the the system and and, uh, working with these kids and being kind of a mentor to some of them um but what kind of led me to event planning uh was the fact that i'd have to do day program planning for these kids so i'd have to like if i was running the schedule um i really loved doing that i was like oh my god i'm very type a i really like to plan out and (laughs) do the timeline and this is what we're (laughs) gonna do at this time and this group's gonna go here and Um, And at that time, a lot of these little wedding reality shows were big and I was watching those and I'm like, oh my God, I could, I need, this is, this is what I need to be doing. I'm natural at it. So I helped um, a couple galas and really enjoyed it and reached out to a very high-end wedding planner, actually a few. And this one person, her name is Lisa Vorce, was the only one who got back to me. She did Kobe Bryant's, I think she did his vow renewal. She did... John Legend and Chrissy Teigen's wedding. So she's a big, big wedding mm. planner. And she yeah. took me under her wing. And that was my first and foremost experience in wedding planning was this high end. I mean, I was, my first weekend event was at the Beverly Hilton. You know? <laughs> and we went up to Santa Barbara right wow. in the state. And so I really developed this high, high, you know, that's my first exposure was this high end events and these high level of, of how to run an event and, and be successful and seeing the big picture. And that I I owe a lot to to Lisa um, and allowing me to to work under her. Um, And I'm fortunate enough that I can say that. Um, But yeah, that led me to, she said, you know, get into catering to learn the back. So I got into some catering sales jobs and spent a few years doing that. And I've always had an entrepreneurial mindset. So I said, you know, I'm going to start my little event planning company and, the years 2010 and 2011 were my biggest. I had many weddings and um, I love seeing a lot of my former clients um, happily married 10 years later still so with kids and that I, you know, helped start their, their journey. And um, I still moonlight a little bit and do weddings, even though now I've kind of gone into the, the nonprofit sector. Um, but I love, you know, I still have a knack for it and, and love dabbling into it. So, Yeah.
0: Yeah, you're definitely very good at that for <laughs> sure, you. without a doubt. Oh yeah, um,
1: planning re- and, reunions.
0: Uh, <laughs> planning reunions, that, yeah, that definitely, <laughs> and they're very good reunions too, mm-hmm. and a lot of fun. So uh, definitely, uh, for sure, you have a, a niche for Thank that you. for sure. So, so you begin the new year, 2021, with a new position at a new company. Uh, so you're the director of fund development for Success and in Challenges Incorporated. Mm-hmm. What is SIC and what do you do?
1: Yeah. So I, you know, as I mentioned, I got dabbled into the nonprofit sector. I did event management with, um, I always laugh, J.B. I say I've been in every little in every little institution you could think of. I've done events with a hospital. I've done events with a, a university, uh, being at Harvey Mudd College, uh, which is one of the Claremont colleges. I was at. I was in their development team doing some of their alumni and parent events, which I love. Um, I've been at a golf course doing <laughs> events at a yacht club. So I just kind of laugh and chuckle, you know, and here I am now kind of full circle back into the community. Um this is a family, um, a family business. It is, it, it was started, Success and Challenges, Inc. was started by my in-laws. So this is near and dear to me because it's our family nonprofit. Mm-hmm. My my in-laws started in 2001. It, um, it's a non-profit, it's a grassroots social service agency and it pretty much serves largely the greater Long Beach community, more of our North Long Beach um, constituents. And the mission is is really to provide community youth and adults with safe and interactive programs that promote good citizenship and character development, creativity and discipline, and, and also design. It's we help to inspire them to face life's challenges with um, enthusiasm and dignity. So well, there's a lot of different programs that are that we have entities um, under like an umbrella, if you will. And one of our biggest programs is a summer enrichment learning program for. Um, a lot of our underserved youth in those communities where they can have an extra bit of of help with with reading or whatever it might be. It's very hands-on called the Freedom School. And that is um, hand-in-hand with the Children's National Defense Fund. So we do a lot of great work for the community, very small. I was brought on this year with my background more so in the events part of the nonprofit, um, event planning and fundraising. I was brought on to be the fund development director to assist the executive director, who's my mother-in-law, Paula Wood, um, with with mm-hmm. donor outreach, um, she really hasn't had that. This organization has it; they've hasn't. She's kind of been like a one-man show or two-man with my my father-in-law, and my role really is to now take my experience in working with um, donors and volunteers. Still doing the we have a, a signature gala that I helped spearhead ten years ago, so I'm doing that in May, but also just really now targeting and working with our community donors, growing the nonprofit, bringing it up to the digital era. That's actually been my biggest, my first challenge, which is getting us more of a digital footprint, if you will. Um, and and maybe even succeeding and leading this organization when my mother-in-law and father-in-law you know, eventually stepped down. So it's, it's definitely a different role that I've never been in. I mean, I've been around, but um, but I'm really enjoying it. And I've found this natural gravitation toward nonprofit and philanthropy. Um, I truly enjoy it. I really believe in giving back to the community, especially the community in which you, were, you live in or you were brought up in. Um, so that's why I say it's kind of full circle mm-hmm. to come back and work with um, folks in the community at the uh, mayoral level yeah it's it's definitely rewarding work. I just came from Memorial Hospital Foundation, so that in and of itself was rewarding because it's the big one of our biggest hospitals in the region and really got to see a lot of familiar faces there and um, did some great great work fundraising there.
0: So how many kids would you guys say that you service or assist with uh, uh, in a year?
1: That's a good question because in addition to the summer enrichment program, which I believe we have, uh, maybe like 70 youth scholars. Um, that number kind of fluctuates. There's also an after-school program that we had. I'd say had because now in this weird time, no kids aren't in school, and we're not really doing after-school programs. Um, but they also serviced, um, uh, I'd say, another hundred kids in an after-school program that was also very learning enrichment environment. They were getting tutoring help uh, while they're waiting for their parents to pick them up. So. Um, it's not just for kids, too. It's also adults that we service. Um, my my husband, mm. um, as another umbrella of success and challenges, um, does a you I'm sorry a group home um, business, which really room and boards for uh, adults who have faced um, mental illness um, or past drug experience. We're kind of that last stop before homelessness. Mm. So that's kind of falls within the success and challenges mission. Um, you know, uh, doing that job um, resources, offering those to adults in the community. So yeah. And helping get some of our underserved out there or folks who are not, maybe don't have the resources to vote. That was another big campaign that the organization worked on ensuring that we had another, um, our center, there's a prayer center, my in-laws own, that was, became a hub for voting for some of the North uh, Long Beach constituents. So yeah, it's kind of a, not just for youth, but for, for adults as well. To be able to now work alongside my mother in law, um, and to see the great work they're doing in the community. My father in law, he is—he's um, a very recognizable name, especially among uh, African American community here in Long Beach. Uh, Doctor uh, Reverend Doctor Leon Wood, he's mentored a lot of young black men, um, and so it's—it's it's really great to be a part of that, um, and have a family. You know, my in laws—that I'm very proud of them, and and to be a part of that name.
0: Oh yeah, that's awesome. So. If people wanted to, uh, participate, either get involved in helping with donations, uh, to your nonprofit organization or to, uh, seek services, um, and the resources that you guys have, how would they
1: be? Sure. They can that? visit our website at any time. It's success in success in um, there they'll find, um, a lot of info about the the uh, organization and our mission, our various programs that we're offering. Um, we do also offer jobs at some point in time, events, which are obviously on hold. We will have a virtual event, and uh, we do have a donate button there, too, if anyone wants to support us. Um, we also take donations, too, by way of um, furniture and uh, clothing, uh, for our group homes. So that is also something that, um, we put out there mainly on our social media outlets.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. That's great. Yeah. So, uh, I'll, uh, go ahead and add, uh, that information onto the life and times of JB Twitter and Instagram pages, as well as the, the podcast details for people to, to go, uh, awesome. I appreciate
1: that. Thank you as Thanks well for the support.
0: Yeah, for sure. So, you talked a little bit about your family already. Uh, so, but let's dig a little bit deeper into your family. So, tell us about Stephen and how you guys met and all that good <laughs> oh, stuff. Oh, my husband.
1: Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> Stephen is also Long Beach bred. Went to Millican. But let me backtrack. I know. Oh, Boo. Millicant, <laughs> Oh, sorry. <laughs>
0: That's right.
1: <laughs> uh, but let me backtrack because he and I, when we were eight and nine, were at El Dorado Park day camp together. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and wow. he
1: remembers me I vaguely remember him um, and he's like I had a crush on you and it's such a cute little story and so through the years he would be a familiar face I'd always see him around I you know he's like I'd see you cheerleading at the games when I was a football player and even into our adulthood I'd see him on second street which is the Belmont shore when you know when you're in your young early 20s you're bar hopping I'd see him around there So fast forward to 10 years ago, 2010, now 11 years ago, um, I was living in an apartment in Belmont shore by myself and my apartment manager was my, was Stephen's best friend and he would be upstairs, um, at their, at the, the manager's apartment and, you know, he um I'd always see him around like, God, he looks so familiar. This guy, like, I feel like he's like a face I've seen my whole life, you know. <laughs> and um he'd, right. you know, dog sit for them and I'd see him I would uh, walk in my dog and we'd make short conversation. And long story short, um, my manager, he had his first child and uh they invited me to come up to to meet see the baby. It was football Sunday, which you know is all up my alley because I love NFL.
2: And I go up yeah. there
1: and there's Stephen, and you know, he's not. He's, he's like, I was looking my worst that day. He wasn't expecting, you know, to meet his future wife, but or to hit it off. And we just immediately talked and was like, Oh, yeah, you know me. I know you from that. Oh, that's how I, oh, blah, blah. And it just was that was it. <laughs> uh, at his wow. godson's, his godson, who's now 10 and a half or 10, his, uh, his sipancy. So we hit it off immediately and, um, It's definitely been a beautiful relationship and, um, it's, it's, you know, people are very fortunate if they can find that one love. And I, you know, I can say I've really found my soulmate, uh, Stephen and I both are very old souls. We have a deep appreciation and love for jazz, old jazz music. He had, his grandparents were big influences on his life. So I think that also probably is why we, we both have old souls because we had that influence of our grandparents. And, um, obviously love of sports and, um, and food and just entertaining. And we just really complement each other very well. And, um, I was very fortunate. I mean, it was instantaneous. We married a year later, like I mentioned earlier in the program, we were married on 11, 11, 11. So this year we will be celebrating 10 years of marriage. And, um, and that was my grandparents anniversary as well. So, you know, just really great. Um, of course we have our ups and downs, but, certainly a very strong marriage and i'm very proud of him and and all he does and and uh bleeds in our family
0: yeah i was uh lucky to have met him during the reunion a couple years ago like i think came in towards the end but uh it was pretty cool to to meet him and yeah pretty awesome dude so i love seeing uh the posts that you guys post on social media and stuff and Your Christmas photo this year was absolutely beautiful. Thank you. (laughs) Your your two girls are beautiful as heck. Um, (laughs) So definitely without a doubt. Uh, So uh, if you want to talk a little bit about uh, Kennedy and Zoe and, and tell us a little bit about them.
1: That's so funny. My oldest just walked in. She's got ballet. So Kennedy is my oldest and she's eight in third grade. Um, just so proud of her and um, all the work she's doing. She's pretty much our high honor roll student consistently and has really um, fallen in love with ballet. She's got ballet class coming up virtually, of course, but um, so she's now um, in her fifth year of ballet and um, at the Long Beach Ballet Studio here in Long Beach. She's participated in the Nutcracker and other spring productions. She loves it. So just watching her develop that passion, you know, reminds me of how I, as a young student her age, started developing my passion for, for music and playing the violin. And I only can just hope that she goes as far and encourage her to, to not give up. And um, Misty Copeland is one, is her biggest influence. So I think, you know, that's a really great influence. So. Zoe is our youngest. She's five and she is in transitional ten- kindergarten. And she's doing well as um, as well as Kennedy um, in an accelerated pe- uh, program. She is my feisty one, though. She is, oh, yeah, she's you know the second one can be a little feisty, and she's the one who's definitely we're going to have to keep her bedroom closer to our bedroom. <laughs> her teenage <laughs> years. <laughs> she's my little uh, very impulsive. I think because she's just such a smart child, her mind is constantly going and she just doesn't think about what she's doing and you know so with that comes a lot of accidents and sorry i wasn't listening and you know but it's just it's the eight, um and she's a joy and she loves musical theater um mm. so it's really fun to watch her steven actually was in the theater major fun fact about him he did shakespeare she's got a little bit of her daddy um, in the performing arts there too so it's great but um, getting them in sports. We just kind of started and then the pandemic hit, but they kind of, they liked soccer. So we're hoping to get them more involved in sports when it becomes safe again. But for now, we're happy with their love for ballet and for performing arts and they're doing so well in school and that's all that we can ask. And they're healthy and that's also the most important.
0: Yeah, definitely. Well, wow, That sounds awesome. Okay. Can we take one more break and yes. then I have four more questions and then that'll wrap us up. As Candace described, Success and Challenges is a nonprofit grassroots social service agency that was founded in 2001. It largely serves the greater Long Beach community with a mission to provide community youth and adults with safe, interactive programs that promote good citizenship, character development, creativity and discipline designed to inspire them to face life's challenges with enthusiasm and dignity for those seeking assistance or would like to donate visit their website at successinchallenges.org and follow them on instagram at successinchallengeslb let's get back to the action hello welcome back hi Uh, So what was or is the biggest challenge of being a working mom?
1: Prioritizing it's and and also being able to deal with both the demands of of work and um, and also helping uh, my girls with their their studies, because I'm also sitting alongside them while they do their learning. Um, and, and being available to have to drop whatever I'm doing. Um, and sometimes we get in that work mode when we just don't even want to be interrupted. But I'm learning to just have to be flexible. I have to be able to drop what I'm doing and, um, and, and move over to the mom role and helping them with an assignment or whatnot. Um, As I mentioned, um, their school has done a phenomenal job though in rolling out a great distance learning program. So um, the teachers are teaching virtually from the school and um, it's been very engaging. I will say this, working alongside my girls and watching them being in the unique position to watch them learn and see them grow and learn and to see like the light bulb go off it's it's very rewarding and it's something our parents really didn't get a chance to do it's a very unique opportunity to to be there to hear them participate in their class their classroom and and be engaged and ask the questions they ask so I must say that is been a very like the the silver lining if you will
0: yeah I I definitely agree I think when there's a point when like our parents, like when we were kids, our parents would send us off to school and then we go to school and we're gone for whatever, eight hours. And then, you know, our parents don't get to see us throughout the day or see where we're at uh, academically. So I think with COVID and everybody's doing remote school now, you know, now there's a lot of engagement, a lot of involvement with the parents and the the children. And I think that's really good.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's not just wait till open house and back to school to show off. Oh, look at the project I did. Now I'm like, I remember doing that project with you, or I remember how much time and effort you put into that project. So yeah, it, it definitely has that silver lining and, and, and you almost don't want, I mean, there's days where it's challenging even more so on other days, but I almost don't, you know, you kind of want to treasure this time because one, they tell you it goes by so quickly and it does. These kids grow up. So, I mean, gosh, it doesn't it seem like yesterday you and I were in sixth grade. <laughs> um, and so to treasure it and really try to be in the moment with them as much as I can.
0: Uh, what is your advice to working women that want to begin having a child or children?
1: I I say that it can be done and um, you definitely want to have a partner that is Um, hopefully, um, you have a partner, um, and you're co-parenting, uh, doing it by, by yourself is, I, I couldn't even imagine. And I hats off to women, single mothers out there who do this, especially who are working from home and also helping their kids from home. But that aside, um, it's definitely doable. If you have that support, even maybe not with a mate or partner, if you have family support, just make sure you have a good support system in place, um, and, and a, a good, um, a job that is, you know, good with work-life balance, that's important. I've been in many careers or I'm sorry, jobs where the work-life balance I was just not happy with. And, um, and that's very important if you're going to be a parent and um, a full-time a career person because kids get sick, you got to drop, you know, sometimes you got to drop what you have to do and go see about your kid and be there for your child or children. So I say, just have a good support system in place before you make that decision, make sure you, you know, who your go-tos are. If you can't be there, who will be there?
0: Yeah. That's some great advice for sure. Without a doubt. Uh, Is there anything else that you'd like to add or want to talk about before I get into my final question?
1: No, no, this has been really great though. (laughs) Reflecting. I really enjoyed the reflections and you know, I I do want to say that I understand that a lot of people are struggling right now. And I, and I go back to support system. You're not alone. And this is a, these are very crazy times, not even just with this pandemic, but like, you know, we talked about the social climate um, and political climate. It's just really challenging and um, it's, it's effect, it affects people very differently. And I just want to say I, I feel so blessed to, to have, you know, support and be and, and, and live how we live, um, but understanding and being humble it's not that case for every person. So I just want to just want to give some encouragement out there to whoever needs it, that we're going to get through this and and rely heavily on your support system to get you through. And we're going to see better days ahead.
0: So I have one more question before we close out this episode. So a couple of weeks ago, I met a Santa Monica, California resident, uh, Kalina Silverman, uh, who is the founder of Big Talk. While she was studying at Northwestern University, she wanted to be to make uh, more meaningful conversations by skipping like the small talk and then going straight to the big talk. Uh, So she created uh, the big talk question card game, uh, which is available on Amazon. Uh, She's been on some Ted talks and she has a YouTube uh, uh, channel out there. I just got my, my deck of 90 cards, my big talk question uh, card game uh, cards today in the mail. And so I thought I would like to play this game with you. I'm going to ask you a question from the game. And so you could be the very first person I asked this question to. So I just picked a random card out of the 90 deck or 90 cards out of the deck. All um, right. So you ready? Yeah, okay. let's go. So here we go. So what advice would you give to yourself five years ago?
2: Hmm.
1: It's okay to slow down because it's, it needs to happen and, and slow down and reflect and to say no to, to different um, obligations. Be sure to put my family first. You know, five years ago, I had a newborn and a and a uh, three-year-old, and I was working a very high-stress job, so definitely put your family first, and it's okay to say no to other uh, obligations that really might not be meaningful in the long run.
0: Yeah, that, that's uh, very good, actually, and that's something uh, that I have really went back to look at, you know, 23 years in the military uh, for me. And a, a lot of service members, we and a lot of people in just life in general, just put their work up in front of their family. Mm-hmm. And I did that a lot within my military career, put the military and the things that we do uh, to protect the nation above our family, you know, and then obviously deploying across, you know, across the world and, you know, fighting in different wars and, and different conflicts Um, I think coming back now that I'm realizing, you know, the lost time that I've had, uh, it's uh, definitely something that I plan to do in this new chapter in life when I retire and move on to a new career is, is uh, to look at my family first and and my relationships and friends and, and, and all that. So um, that's very good advice and very good uh, advice that you would give yourself five years ago. So, uh, Candice, uh, thank you so much for uh, taking the time out of your day to join me in the podcast. Uh, I wish uh, you and and your family uh, a very successful 2021. Uh, and like you said, uh, we'll all get through this uh, COVID pandemic together and move forward for sure.
1: Well, Thank you. It's my pleasure. It's been my pleasure, J.D., So nice to talk to you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Oh my gosh, I'm so happy and proud of you and all of your I mean, what a wonderful career you've had. And I know you've even you've served and thank you so much for your service. I mean, that's, that's a long, that's a long time to be to be in the military.
0: It is a very long time. My knees hurt now.
1: (laughs) Well, I wish you the best and everything. And it's so nice to talk to you. Good luck to you as well. And to everyone else out there on a a beautiful, fruitful 2021. And again, we're going to get through this. So have a good one.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to episode six of the life and times with JB. I hope you enjoyed it. Tune in on February 3rd when my cousin Marsha joins me. Don't forget to like, comment, rate, subscribe, and share this podcast. The podcast can be heard where all podcasts are found. Follow the podcast on Instagram and Twitter at life and times with JB. You may email questions or comments to life and times with JB at gmail.com. Until next time, have a great week and spread some aloha.